Farzi, it seems fitting that you have an on-air sign behind you because I feel like in the month of May, you're always on. There's no off time for you. So I'm just curious, at 10 o'clock as you begin to get closer to your bedtime, what did you do today for Farwell for Hire? You know, thank you for asking the question and thank you for again wearing the shirt, which I still have not had the courage to do on this podcast because I think it's a little bit weird. Although I wear it to work every day because <laughs> there's Rogers TV. I just want the exposure for the campaign. I know. Why am hey, I not? Do you, have a, do you have a couple shirts? I, I might I have, have more. A... <laughs> yes, I, I have more than one, but I only have one. It's funny because today, uh, as we record this, we have just passed the midway point of the month of May. And I, I got a message. This one meant a lot to me. So forgive me for the little bit of a story that comes with it. But it, it came from a friend of mine whose son has cystic fibrosis. And Wade, uh, he's not even 10 yet. I should, that's terrible. I don't know his exact age. But anyway, we met when, when Wader uh, was just a young kid and his parents had just learned about this diagnosis and they're like, oh my God, what do we do? Uh, and, and they had heard about this campaign from some guy in Kitchener. They live out Stratford way. And anyway, one thing leads to another and we end up connecting and we've done some fundraising together over the years. And this family, I'm just going to, the Van Allens who, who own Van Allen Insurance in Listowel. So shout out to our friends in Listy and they've got an office in Guelph too. Anyway, Shane and, and Sarah and their incredible son, Wade, are just a, a lovely family. And, and we connected over, you know, a not so lovely thing, to be honest. But I got a note from Shane just today. And he said, hey, halfway through the month, how are you holding up? Because Shane knows what's what. Like, I'm an old man and I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing manual labor after my radio show every day. And that's not a lot because my radio show involves a lot of sitting around. But it was just nice. And you just made me think of the memory when you asked the question, because to hear from him just kind of randomly, knowing that I do this campaign every year, uh, was, was kind of neat and heartwarming for me. So uh, the shorter answer to your question, but I did some gardening. I, I planted some small trees and some shrubs, and I moved around some patio furniture, and I, I transplanted hostas, which this is language I never thought I'd be using in my adult life, Popper, but that's what I did. And I put them into a recycling bin and loaded them onto my truck and drove them down the street to the neighbor's place and then replanted them. So that was kind of my afternoon, a lot of digging in the dirt. It wasn't too bad in terms of uh, heavy lifting, but that's what we do. We go out and we do something to uh, make some money for for cystic fibrosis. So there you go. I feel like everybody has transported a hosta because they're uncontrollable and they just take over the earth. So everyone tries to get rid of them. And the best way to do it is pawning it off on someone else. That's a great point. <laughs> I feel like oh. everyone's transported hostas. And real quick, because by the time this is released from the time of recording, I can tell you, go get your 50-50 tickets. Rangers5050.com. Our jackpot. Our jackpot last year was 113000 dollars. I, I can't forecast where we're at yet, but I'm going to bet you because I, I, I promise you this is being recorded before the draw even starts. I'll bet you if you went to rangers5050.com right now, it's going to be at least $10,000. Let's get that jackpot going. I want to give somebody lots of money. And of course, the, 50, the other 50% is going to cystic fibrosis. Well, if I don't win, it's going to be criminal. And you know what you should do when you spot a criminal, Mike? You know what? That's a really good point made by you, Popper. Waterloo Region crime stoppers okay of course there's probably a crime stoppers in your community we want to give a shout out to the hardworking volunteers who are involved in managing waterloo region crime stoppers just like any other crime stoppers organization 1-800-222-TIPS you remain anonymous if you see something that police should know about if your tip leads to an arrest you could be awarded 
up to $2,000 for that tip that leads to that arrest. I'm going to take you even a little bit further behind the scenes. I've done some work with the board at Waterloo Region Crime Stoppers. <laughs> I'm going to tell you what, like the money is pretty good. I'm not asking you to, you know, get goofy. The tips all have to be vetted. I don't like it. There's a process, but you, you can make some money. And this is helping keep our communities safer. It's helping us all stay engaged. 1-800-222-TIPS, up to $2,000 for tips that lead to an arrest or online at waterloocrimestoppers.com. Remember, these are volunteers. They do fundraising and it's helping out in the community. Yeah, you're doing a good deed when you call. It's just the tip is an added award for doing a good job. Speaking of awards for doing a good job. Well done. James, thank you. James Richmond, the head coach of the Mississauga Steelheads, has been named OHL Coach of the Year. Your thoughts? I think they had a lot of candidates, uh, obviously Ted Dent in Flint, who was the Western representative and a lot of talk, of course, now Jay McKee in Hamilton, who's just back into the Ontario hockey league and has his team into the Eastern conference final. But when you look at the sum of all parts, how many people coming into this season had the Mississauga steelheads to finish where they finished, had the Mississauga steelheads to have the best goaltending duo in the Ontario hockey league. And I, I think a ton of credit for the, uh, the number of wins on the season, the number of points over a season to go, uh, you got to look at the guy and don't forget he was the dual portfolio head coach GM. So well done, JR, and richly deserved from where I'm sitting. Imagine the amount of work he had to do this year. It's like his, his whole year is your May. You know what I mean? Like GM, exactly. head coach, COVID, having to find these players. Which guys are you going to have? They pull a goalie in from out West. Plus then you... You have the trade deadline, and then right after that, you're fighting for a division title, and then you have the playoffs, and then the drafts in there, and then the import draft. What? Like, and this guy got his team to where they were. You know, one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference. You know, huge improvement from where people thought they were going to be this year. Um, lots of other people that you could give a stick tap to it. At names you've already mentioned. Um, there's a lot of good coaches in this league. Um, but I just want to, you, you talked about Ted Dent. I think we both owe the Flint Firebirds a quick apology because we completely underestimated you this playoffs. So enjoy your Western conference final. And at this rate, I'm, I'm picking Windsor, but at this rate, you'll probably make the OHL final. So good for you guys. What a year in Flint. I completely underestimated you, but uh, Ted Dent and everyone down there deserves all the credit. They smashed, I think every franchise record they have this year. Yeah. The guy we're about to hear from on this week's episode of OHL stories uh, was a member of the team that, I think a lot of people thought we're going to be a sexy first round upset over Flint because all the talk was, Oh, they piled up all those wins versus Erie and Saginaw and then Ted Dent and Flint and, and Brennan Othman and the rest of them just went out and said, yeah, screw you. We are a good hockey team. And I feel like I have to apologize to everybody because I was, I think if not leading, certainly right on the bandwagon of it's going to be the year of the upset. And what do we have in the conference finals? It's one versus three in the West and one versus two in the East. I'll just sit over here and shut up. Yeah. Not many upsets. <laughs> nope. Um, but when you win humanitarian of the year in the OHL, that usually says that you're using your platform for good. Like Mike does for far well for hire. Thanks. Mark. Man. No problem. Uh, Mark Woolley uses that platform uh, to, for Woolley's warriors, um, sending kids to camp that have diabetes. He has diabetes and it was a former teammate and captain that kind of got the bug in his ear. And now as Mark leaves this league after five years, four seasons 
as a captain, hopefully he's the captain that puts the worm in someone else's ear, continuing to do good. The humanitarian of the year in the Ontario Hockey League, Mark Woolley. Well, before we talk about humanitarian of the year, which obviously is a, a great way to cap a season, Mark, I got to be honest, you and the Owen Sound Attack were my sexy upset pick in the first round. I don't want to, you know, rub salt in anything, but how tough was that seven gamer versus the Flynn Firebirds? Yeah, it was, I mean, obviously it was a, it was a great series. I mean, both teams gave it their all. So, um, I mean, we, we came up on the short end of the stick, but really proud of the boys. I mean, we were one of the youngest teams, I think, in the league this year. And, um, you know, just the growth and, and development from that young squad throughout the season, um, you know, for us to, to battle as hard as we did in the playoffs and, you know, go right to that last buzzer, um, you know, something I'm really proud of, you know, um, being an older guy on that, uh, on that team and kind of, you know, leading them, um, you know, for, for as much as I could throughout the season um, to see that development was, was outstanding and they have a special group uh, coming in the next couple of years. So it, we'll get to that award in just a second, but I'm just curious when you look back on your OHL career, five years, four seasons, what do you think about? Just, just all the memories, I think. Um, and honestly, it's, it's the stuff away from the rink that, that you remember more, I think. Um, you know, all the, the road trips, the, the bus trips with the boys and the hotels, um, you know, just, just whatever it is, but like you're, you're with those guys every single day for what is it? Nine months. And, you know, I have, I have friends that friendships are going to last a lifetime from every single team that I played on in those, in those five years. So um, I think that's the biggest thing that, um, that comes to mind for me is just all the relationships that I was able to make and, and all those connections I'll have for, you know, the rest of my life. I wanted to drill in just a little bit further on that young team you talked about, Mark, because as a couple of guys that broadcast for a team in the same division, we've been looking at this Owen Sound attack team and saying, whoo-wee, like the next couple to a few years are going to be pretty tough games up there in the Bayshore. As, as one of the older guys, what's it like for you watching like the Makacheks and the Petrovskis and that Barlow kid do what they did? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really special. I mean... Um... I was I was lucky enough to be roommates with with Bars this year, um, and he's he's a very special kid. Like he's he's gonna make lots of money one day. Um, so seeing seeing him have such a successful rookie season, and you know other guys, um, you know Gwendon. I mean, all of our our rookies were our team this year. So um, you know to see them finally kind of get comfortable in the league, and I mean. I found out towards the end of the season with, with bars that out of his 30 goals, like 26 of them were five on five. Like I had no idea about that. Um, so like that's, they, they have a very special group. Yeah. It was, it was pretty cool to be a part of. Um, obviously wish maybe I, I could have one more year and, and, uh, you know, be a part of something special there, but um, yeah, I'm definitely going to stay in touch with those guys and, and watch them over the next couple of years for sure. Just tell the Owen Sound attack. Your name is Mike Wooler. And you never know, you might come back, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Sneak back in there. So, Mark, you get the Humanitarian of the Year Award, named in honor of Dan Schneider. Getting that award this year, what does it mean to you? Yeah, it's, it's obviously, um, you know, pretty pretty special and, and honoring. Um, I mean, I think it's pretty cool to, to bring it back to On Sound, um, you know, after, after being named, named after Dan. Um, you know, all the, all the great stuff he did back when he was the captain of the Platers. Um, 
you know, so for it to, you know, to, to go full circle and come back to one sound, I think is, is pretty cool. Um, and then, I mean, obviously, uh, awards aren't really, you know, doing what doing this stuff is, is all about, but I mean, it's, it's pretty, pretty cool and pretty humbling to, to be recognized on a stage like this for sure. Give us the background on Woolies Warriors. What's it all about? How did, why'd you start it? Yeah. I mean, um, basically it hits so close to home for me and it's, it's so important to me because I'm, I'm diabetic myself, but, um, it all started my rookie season, uh, when I was just watching Garrett McFadden do what he does with, with his mental health movement and, um, you know, kind of soaking that all in. And, um, a couple of years later, uh, my media girl, Steph Karate reached out and just kind of asked if, if I was still interested in doing something like that, as we talked briefly before. And, um, I mean, I said, yeah, hundred percent, but, but where do we get started? And, um, I mean, next thing you know, we were launching and then all of a sudden we're, we're, we're raising money to send kids to diabetes Canada camps and having kids come to games. And, you know, I'm, I'm chatting with them after about, you know, how they live their today, their day to day, how I live my day to day. Um, so, I mean, even, even with that, I mean, we go back to what we said about the relationships, like the, some of the diabetic kids that I've met, I mean, at, at road games up in Kingston and Ottawa and, um, you know, that, that stuff is, is going to stick with me, um, for, for the rest of my life too. So, um, definitely pretty special that, uh, I got to do this, uh, in Owensdown with, uh, with Louise Warriors and everything. How happy are some of the families you meet afterwards? Like you said, maybe in Kingston or Ottawa or whether it's just in Owensdown, how happy are those families for the work that you and Woolies Warriors are doing? Yeah, I think, I think that it goes, it goes a long way. I mean, especially because. Um, I mean, majority of, of my outreach is, is towards kids. Um, and, you know, I know when I was at that age, um, you know, I was really, really scared on, you know, how that would impact my future in, in sports. And, you know, I was just kind of getting into that competitive level of hockey um, and, and I wanted to pursue it. And, and I had no idea if that was, that was still an option when I got diagnosed. So um, I think just, you know, being that support system for them, at that young age or whatever age it may be, but just, just knowing, um, you know, that I try, I try to use my story as proof that, you know, it's, it's not the end all be all like, you know, you, you take care of it. Um, you know, you, you go to your appointments, whatever you, you do, what you need to do to make sure you're healthy. And at the end of the day, you're, you're just like any other kid. So, um, you know, you, you don't let your diabetes define you, I think is, is one of the biggest things that I try to, I try to preach what is your day-to-day like as a diabetic and a high-performance athlete? Yeah, and, and honestly, um, it's not that much different than any of my teammates. Um, you know, believe it or not, uh, that's that's how easy it is with, with all the technology and everything that uh, is, is out nowadays. Um, but, I mean, as long as I'm, I'm monitoring and, and making sure I'm eating regularly and kind of knowing what's going into my body and, um, you know, obviously the preparation and the planning um, is, needs to be a little bit more detailed, I guess, um, you know, just to make sure I'm not going low, like right before a game or, or making sure I'm getting food right after a game. So I'm not having that delayed low before I'm going to bed or whatever. Um, just, just little stuff like that. But I mean, other than that, like it's, if, if you were to just kind of like watch me, like have an ISO cam on me, I guess you could say in, in a day to day, like you wouldn't really be able to pick out too many different things than I do for my teammates. It's, it's, it's pretty subtle. And 
Um, it's just kind of second nature to me now. So you wouldn't even really be able to notice it. In one of the coolest moments of the season, I think, the one sound attack, uh, make a third jersey, the Woolies Warriors jersey, your team wins in overtime wearing those jerseys. What was the conversation like when the team came to you and said, we want to have this idea of wanting to create a Woolies Warriors jersey? I was honestly in, in disbelief um, when, when they first came to me. I mean, I, I thought of it and I was like, looking around, seeing all my teammates with my name on their, on their jersey, like that's, no, like we're not doing that. But um, I mean, if you look at what it did and, you know, how, how great of a night it was, I mean, so thankful for the ownership group and, and the management there and, you know, everybody who helped make that night possible. I mean, that's that night has to probably be the highlight of my career. Um, I mean, just hit so close to home to me and, um, you know, the, the support from the, from the organization and the fans is, is just, it's amazing. And that's why Owen Sound is, you know, it's a second home for me now. I got to be honest, I can understand how weird that feels, Mark, with your teammates having your name on their jersey. Because look at this, look at this guy I'm working with right now. Like, what the hell is that? It's weird, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It definitely took a, took a couple, couple, uh, couple looks getting used to and warm ups, but uh, it's it definitely worth it for sure. I know they auctioned those jerseys off, but did you get to keep yours at least? Yeah, yeah, we ordered a couple extras. Um, I got some for for my grandparents and um, my my parents. Uh, I think I have one or or two or three. I don't know. We have we got a couple extras for sure, and then the designer of them got one. So yeah, there there was a whole bunch of extras. You mentioned that uh, you're always going to call Owen Sound a second home, and that's certainly a feeling that a lot of players have when they leave this league and move on to other things. There's just that bond you develop with the town where you played. But what about next steps for you? What are you looking forward to next? Yeah, um, I think it's it's still kind of up in the up in the air a little bit. I mean, obviously, um, I want to play pro, um, but uh, we'll we'll kind of wait and see. Uh, wait, wait and see for a contract. Um, as of right now, I'm probably going to be heading out to U Sports and, and playing in the uh, AUS division. Um, I don't know what school yet. That'll probably come in, in the next couple of weeks or month or so. Um, I think I got some visits coming up. But um, yeah, realistically, probably the the U Sport route right now. But um, I mean, I, that's 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 just another another journey um, for me. I, I at the end of the day, I want to play pro hockey someday. So just whatever path it takes to get there. Uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, we don't want to waste too much of your time, but I'm just curious if you can wrap this up for us. And I heard a fun story from Fred Wallace where your trade, obviously to own sound from Guelph in your second year, I think it was second year in Guelph. That trade almost didn't happen because people, your parents were away. Can you tell us that whole story and what it was like for you to go through that process? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was crazy. I mean, I'm, I'm in grade 12, um, you know, two days prior I was told you know you're not going anywhere we we want you here blah, blah, blah. but then all of a sudden you know Nick Suzuki Sean Dursey get offered up to you and you're trying to go for it it's, it's pretty hard to turn down right so um yeah they my agent calls me um I'm on the way home from school to get ready to go play a hometown game in London and you know he goes you know how would you feel about going to one sound I was like, uh, to be honest, like, I, I don't know. I have to think about it. Like I, it's a, that's a lot to just get up and move. Um, and then my, my roommate who lived with me last year, um, 
Barrett Kerr and he was in the car with me at the same time. And he got a call from his agent at the exact same time. We just looked at each other and we're like, oh, here we go. And then, so the next like 12 hours was just crazy. I mean, I got, I got back to my billet house and my parents were on vacation in Cuba. So I sent them a text and um, I, I think they were on like a horseback ride or something like that. And so, I mean, I, I don't think I got to talk to them until I think maybe I called my dad for like 20 minutes, like four hours later or something like that. And um, so I, I was basically only in contact with, with my older brother and then my girlfriend at the time and just basically trying to figure out like, you know, do I do this or no? Like, and then um, I think they, they got home from their vacation after the trade had went down um, and I was playing uh, like my second game in Owen Sound on a, on a road trip in Erie. So they came, they came straight from, Pearson Airport right to the Erie Insurance Arena and and came and saw me um, after I got traded there but yeah it was it was pretty crazy um, but I mean it, it all happened for a reason and then one sound was the best thing that ever happened to me so um, yeah pretty I just cool wanted story. to have one quick one too before we let you go because I remember watching you when you came into this league with Guelph and and the way you would lay a body check and then when the deal comes to go to Owen Sound, I'm like, oh my God, like nobody's going to want to play because that arena, I would think or that rink is built for a guy like you. So you want to play pro just, you know, I'm sure there's, I would love to think that there's always room for a guy that hits like you in the pro hockey game. But where do you develop that, Mark? Is it something that you work on as a younger hockey player? Um, I, I guess maybe a little bit. I mean, maybe the, the, I mean, I'm not a, a farmer or anything like that, but like, those are the kids that I grew up playing with. Right. Like I, I played for Elgin. Um, we were always like the, the out of city, out of city kids. So, you know, I guess we're considered the, the rednecks or whatever, but um, we always played that like harder type hockey growing up rather than the, the skilled stuff. I mean, my minor hockey team was never very good. So maybe that's why we always had to play like the, the hitting game, but um I mean, you guys being from Kitchener, I played with, with Mutter growing up my whole career and we we're best pals. And I mean, you know, he knows how to throw a body check too. So um, I don't know. Yeah, but definitely going to the Bay Shore. Um, it was, I mean, that was one of the convincing factors to get me to go there. And I mean, I, I made that my rank. I, I don't think too many guys did like going into the corner with me there. So um, definitely fun, uh, fun rank to play uh, the last couple of years of my career and for sure. Navrin Mutter and Mark Woolley on the same team. I have the Algon flu every game, thousand percent. No, thank you. No dice. Yeah. Yeah. Could you, could you do us a quick favor before we let you go, Mark, and just solve an argument that Mark, or Mike and I have? That rink and own sound is smaller than every other rink, right? Like the ice, it's smaller. Yeah, it's it's got. I mean, even if it's <laughs> even if it's not like technically, it definitely feels like yeah, it for sure. Like there's there's no way there's there's more space there, just as much space there as in other ranks. No way. Yeah, that's because you and Andrew Parrott policed the blue line for half the year this year. And then they'd roll yeah. out Chibrikov, who's eight feet tall. No wonder it felt small. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we had a good blue line there for sure. Well, Mark, we really appreciate you taking the time. I always like players that play hard on the ice, but are the nice guys off the ice. So we really appreciate all your time over the years. Congratulations on a great career. And we're looking forward to see what Woolies Warriors continues to do. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me out today. This is awesome.
Yeah, and congrats on that award too. Well-deserved. Thanks for doing this. Mark Woolley, what a great guy. I'm going to miss watching him play in this league. And I, I mean it. He was like, I love players like that who are so mean off the ice. And then when you go to interview him, you kind of expect, you know, kind of a brash person. Mark Woolley is one of the nicest players I've ever interviewed in this league. It's bizarre. But man, what a player. I hope he, I hope he does make it to the pro rank someday for sure. We're, we're pretty lucky in this league. We run into a, a lot of good young men and uh, they're all here just trying to develop some skills and make it to the next level as so many others involved in the league are. So I agree. Real treat to listen to and have a conversation with. And I do have that, that sneaking suspicion that you uh, sports is not going to be the end of the hockey career for Mark Woolley, a guy that plays the game the way he does and hits the way he hits. I think there's room for him in pro hockey somewhere. Yeah. And if he's going out to the AUS, as he said, everyone out in that division just went, Oh, really? Like stay in Ontario. <laughs> you know, like, you hit so hard, uh, but he, he's got such a pro game. I can't believe he hasn't got a bet, better look or a bigger look, but I'm going to miss him. And, uh, you know, congrats to all the overagers as their season, you know, winds down Mike Petesian in tears after game five in Windsor thinking about his uh, career trajectory or career development rather like where he came from as a 16 year old rookie to where he left. It's pretty bananas. And there's a lot of players that are going through that. Yeah. I'll, I'll remind you, and we've talked about it before on this podcast of the uh, former coach in this league that said, if Mike Petizian was three inches taller, he would have been a first rounder. So uh, and it, it's just, it, it's really one of the almost criminal aspects of this game. I mean, I get it, but the kid and you saw it in his final year is just all heart. And Mike McKenzie uh, following the Rangers ouster by the Windsor Spitfire said, Mike Petizian is the heart and soul of the hockey club. He wore an A on his Jersey as opposed to a C, but he was every bit a leader and every bit, one of those glue guys on a team. So um, we should remind folks that, the OHL stories podcast, just because Popper and I cover the Kitchener Rangers for the season uh, doesn't mean that, you know, just because the Ranger season is done, this podcast is done. We're going to carry you right through the OHL championship and then send you off to the Memorial cup to have some fun there, but we're going to continue with these episodes until an OHL champion is crowned. And as you said, Popper to all of the overagers, uh, hope you enjoyed your time in the league and, and we'll wish you nothing but the best on every team uh, moving forward from here. The teams that we saw in this Western Conference, Chris, specifically the, the Windsor Spitfires in the last round, uh, they are going to be a handful for Ted Dent and the Flint Firebirds for sure. It seemed to me, and we talked about it on our broadcasts of Kitchener Rangers hockey, it seemed to me that, that the Rangers had real opportunity on the opening weekend to actually win both in Windsor. They didn't, but after they, so, and Windsor won the first game by a goal. After the Rangers won the second game, it looked to me like Windsor woke up or something because the last three games, Windsor seemed to almost kind of have their way with the Rangers. Yeah, they were just a, they were a powerhouse. And I think truthfully, the Rangers ran out of gas. Yeah. They ran out of bodies. They ran out of gas. Um, and it was such an emotional uh, first round against London. I, I think it was tough for them to kind of match that against Windsor. And when you can't, and as each round goes on, as we've talked about on the ride home, as each round goes on, it gets tougher. The teams get better. You have to elevate your game. And I just think there was nowhere else for the Rangers to elevate to, unfortunately. Um, 
And just, just a quick note on Patizian, you mentioned wearing an A. Um, I sent a tweet out last night that I want to have a 10 course meal with Daryl Sutter. Cause I, I could watch his press conferences for hours. I think he is absolutely hysterical. Dry humor is all get out, but he mentioned some, someone asked him about Johnny Goudreau wearing an A and he's like, typical Daryl, whatever. Right. He just said, letters are decorations. That's all they are. It's what you do in the room and on the ice that really matters. He was just next in line. Interesting. Well, if that was the case, Mike Petesian should have seven C's on his Jersey because like, <laughs> How can you knock the way that guy played? But I just thought of it. It was a great way to put it for a guy who's been around this league a long time and coached in more game sevens than anyone in history. Now eight and three in game sevens. And for a guy to call letters decoration, I think, I think you know what it means to coaches about a letter. It's like, yeah, sure. We need them out there, but go for it. Sorry. Tell me that record for Daryl Sutter again in game sevens. Eight and three. And he was unemployed when Calgary went back out and got him. Yeah. Well, yeah. Cause he went back to the farm. Hey, Toronto. <laughs> hey, Toronto. Eight and three. You know what else oh, I'm going to miss gosh. about the Kitchener Rangers season being done, Mike? What's In that? The second round driver? being done. Yes. Shout out <laughs> Mike Moose Reeves. He's always makes me laugh. But no, I'm yes. going to miss our good friend Joe at Antonino's Pizza in Windsor. I, I wasn't even hungry after game five, but I thought it's my last time down here for a while. I'm getting Antonino's. You're going to have to fight me from it. And quick shout out to our colleague, Steve Bell, who put the bill, him and Joe at Antonino's looked after us. Thanks, is Beller, the- for the pizza. Loved it on the way home. And a quick shout out to the one gentleman who was working at Antonino's. He, he was the only guy in there. And I said, busy night. And he grabbed receipts. And I'm not kidding. There was a stack about five inches big. And he goes, I've been working alone all night. This is just from tonight. I thought to myself, holy jumping, you poor individual. But he's pumping in pizzas away you go. And I said, that is crazy busy. He looks at me like I have 10 heads. He goes, well, yeah, we have the best pizza in Windsor. <laughs> and I said, no, no, you don't. You have the best pizza in the province. You are doing God's work back there, my man. Let me do your thing. I will go sit out in my car until my pizza is ready. So a quick shout out to Joe at, at Antonino's. What a guy. What a place. And oh, what a pie. I love it. It's my favorite. I do not disagree. Although I haven't tried the pizza in every city in the province. The first time I tried it, even though it had been hyped up, it, it lived up to the hype. And then some, we even got a couple of Rangers fans onto it because they made the trip down for the Rangers last game in, in Windsor on a Saturday night. So they had some pie while they were there getting some tweets about that. Trust us, please. If you're in Windsor, just check out Antonino's Pizza. Judge for yourself. I don't think you'll be disappointed. You may remember and want to give a shout out to, and rightly so, Joe from Antonino's. And again, our buddy Beller for hooking it up so we didn't have to pay for our last pie on the way out of town. But I'm not sure we left any money either earlier in the day, Chris, with our pregame routine now. You'll do a coffee review every once in a while when we go to a visiting city. And so we just try to find a local independent coffee shop as opposed to a chain. So back during the regular season, in Windsor, find this place called Gennaro's. We went in, loved the coffee. It was a really nice customer service experience. Great young lady behind the counter walked us through, you know, how good the espresso was and the different menu items. We found this coffee called a turbo. We really liked it. So we liked it so much. We went back and then we met Enzo, Enzo Palumbo, the son of the owner, Gennaro Palumbo. And Enzo is a certified beauty. That's all I can say. All I know for sure is that by the time we finished visiting Gennaro's, which we did 
three times in the playoffs and I think five times overall through the season. We were not just getting coffee on our way out the door or when we got in the door. There were there were extras involved because Enzo became our best friend. And, and not only with the coffee when we left on Saturday, but the cannoli and the tiramisu in a takeout container. Are you kidding me, Windsor? Like, when can we come back? Listen, this is OHL stories. We tell stories on this podcast. You can tell the whole I'm story. Tell I, didn't want, story. I didn't want to take the thunder from you. Oh, no, I was just going to say, <clears throat> I was just going to tell them the extras. We walk in and. But well, those... I'm, okay. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want everybody to expect this treatment that well, somehow they're not. we meant. Okay. They're, they're, yeah. They're not. It's people go there because they want to support a good person and Enzo Palumbo. But the first time we walked in, it was a great experience because the coffee was awesome. I gave so a good. great review. Second time we go in, Enzo's there and we meet him. And then he's like, kind of looks at us weird because we were wearing suits. And then he finds out we're doing a broadcast and he's like, oh, you guys want to do a shot of Crown Royal? <laughs> what? And he, but by the time we can even, like, we kind of looked at each other like, uh, okay. He already had the shots poured. It, yep. it was, he was having three or we were all having one. Like that, that's the way we were with Enzo. So then we got talking had a great chat and whatever. And he asked you if he knew, uh, Herbie, Herbie. from Kitchener. Yeah, Herbie yeah. From Kitchener. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then the, for game five, we go back obviously and we go walking in and Enzo's in. I, we, I said to you, as we were walking up to the building, I said, I wonder if Enzo will be in here this time. And, Sure as heck he was. And as soon as we walk in, someone yells, there they are. <laughs> and he's got the, by the time the doors closed, he's got the bottle of crown. He's dumping out shots again. But Enzo, I got like, we got to go to work here, buddy. Yeah. But we we had have two shots before the game on Saturday. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but the, we had the gelato, the banana gelato was so Crazy. delicious. And then, yeah, he, I said, I had had a cannoli the last time. Uh, leave the gun, take the cannoli. And uh, I said, and I saw some other stuff. Enzo, what's, uh, what are these things? Us two are their sweet tooth. He's like, oh, those are tiramisu. I'll hook you up. Yeah, you're leaving with a couple of these. He hands us both a tiramisu, two cannolis, the coffee, plus the added bonus from <laughs> Enzo. And I'm standing by the, like the register to pay. And he, I felt like I insulted him. You did. Like, I think you did. He, I seriously, he's like, get out of here. You're not paying. And I'm like, and then his buddy comes to the back and he goes, you guys are the guy that talked about it on YouTube. <laughs> what? <laughs> so we got some listeners and, and viewers down in Gennaro. What, like, just what a, what a welcoming place to walk into and a place that I'm, I'm happy to give my business. I will happily pay every time and tip huge every time I go in there, just because they're such great people. And I don't think anything topped in our time there, even with the cannolis, the tiramisu, the coffee, the shots, nothing topped his story as to how he got a picture with Al Pacino on his wall. Al Pacino stole Enzo's espresso machine. That's the story. Like Enzo even said, I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to get my espresso machine back from Al Pacino. You make that make sense, but it happened. Al Pacino took Enzo Palumbo's espresso machine that happened that's a true story on ohl stories G- gennaro palumbo is enzo's father the namesake for the building please if you are in windsor we beg you go to antonino's and see joe and definitely go to gennaro's and check out enzo tell them farwell and pope sent you and just enjoy what is enzo palumbo because in the two minutes after the drive after we got in the car i don't think either of us said anything other than what just happened 
Like, what was that? It was sensory overload in there, but I, I can't wait to go back. It was a whirlwind to be sure. Uh, you can see us with Enzo. The picture has been posted to our Twitter accounts at Farwell underscore WR. No, at Farwell underscore OHL. Take your pick. Doesn't matter. And at underscore Chris Pope, the two Twitter accounts. That's a whole other conversation for a whole other day. We'll have it sometime. But for now, just check out Enzo Palumbo at underscore Chris Pope at Farwell underscore OHL. Only Farwell and I know how much joy it just brought me that he name dropped both of his Twitter accounts. So, you can follow anyway. them both if you want. I don't I have any it. problem with that. Yeah. Anyway, uh, speaking of that cup of coffee, uh, it was never just a cup of coffee when you got in a fight with Tony Yob because that guy knew how to handle himself. Uh, Kingston, yep. Best chirp I've ever heard to this day in an arena. The question is this, does Tony agree or not? That's all. I'm done. We find out. Former Kingston Frontenac, former two-time OHL champion with the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds, and then went on to a long pro career, 18 years mostly overseas. Uh, but for Waterloo Crime Stoppers, it is Tony Yob. Remember, farwellforhire.com. So many things, I think, to go over uh, with our guest this week. But I, I want to start, Tony, just given the the style of hockey that you played in an era where that style was more common. Does the game today disappoint you in any way? Oh, I think it disappoints a lot of us that played in that era. Like we, uh, we watch it and, you know, uh, Nylander, you know, you, you look at that guy, he goes into the corner and he reaches for a stick. And, you know, I, I could always remember going back to, especially Larry Maverty, you know, you know, what, what I go over my head, what he would say, you know, like he obviously can't repeat what he'd say to me, but uh, you know, he, get in there, play hard, you know, and it's uh, a lot of guys are like, uh, like that now, right. You don't have that, um, that extra oomph to get into the corners or, or you know, or I guess uh, the fearness of getting hurt, I guess uh, they play. we played, we didn't, we didn't have that fear of getting hurt. Where did that style of play that you had come from? Like where were you in the, into the fisticuffs off the ice too? Uh, yes, a little bit, but I mean, it was more, you know, as once I made OHL and I got back home and, you know, we ended up going out and stuff with friends and that it was more, uh, you know, a lot of guys would challenge it, right? Like it would be, oh, oh you're fighting in the hockey, let's fight the off ice, you know? So it, I don't think, you know, I didn't fight a lot when I was young, you know, as, as I got older, as my career went on, I think it was, you know, it was more protection thing than, uh, than anything off ice, but on ice, it was, uh, I don't know, they kind of felt like it was part of your, uh, your, your role. Right. So, um, you know, like if you, if you can fight, a lot of guys back in my era could fight as well. If they couldn't, they still sure tried. Right. You mentioned one of the names already that we can't talk to you without talking about, and that was Larry Mavity, the other, of course, Ted Nolan. I mean, if we're going to have a Hall of Fame of Ontario Hockey League coaches, those guys are in there for sure. Uh, can you take us through the, the differences, the similarities, what it was like playing for those two guys? When I first uh, first drafted, so I remember, you know, they had that 48-hour uh, rule and. um my dad, uh, it was coming up to the 48 hours. And then, uh, this is my first 
first kind of experience with Mavity and he was up in the press box and we knew that there was only two or three spots for guys to make. And so I walk up and, uh, you know, I say, Hey, Mr. Mavity, you know, like, I'm, you know, where, where do I stand if I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, Pembroke and play. And, and he just kind of looked at me with that, uh, you know, his angry, angry look, but it's just as, you know, his resting face, but he's, and just said, ah, yeah, you made the team. And I'm like, you know, with a couple of uh, swear words in there. So I climbed down the ladder and I get down to my dad and I go, I made the team, you know, like, uh, let's, you know, let's go. He goes, did, did he sign the card? I'm like, oh my God. So I got to walk back up to the stairs and I said, can you sign me the card? So I, you know, and, you know, he signed it away, you know. So that was my first experience with Mav. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it, I loved every moment with him. You know, he was that that type of guy that, you know, he taught us a lot of uh, how to protect yourself, you know, and that's going back to, you know, 30 years, um, how to protect yourself on the ice when you're getting hit and, you know, and, and we played a little different too. You, you played to hurt, you know, like, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, it's hard to say, but you, you did, you know, and it was just the kind of the way the game was, um, you know, getting to Ted, Ted was a, a great motivator. You know, I, I was very fortunate to, to be traded up to uh, Sioux and uh, I had a, I had a ball up there, you know, like uh, we, we, as soon as I landed, uh, you know, Sherry Basson picked me up, uh, you know, I'm sorry, I, I didn't land. I played in Niagara Falls and Sherry Basson picked me up and we, you know, we chatted all the way there and I got on a plane the next day and ended up in the Sioux. And uh, I think my first game in the Sioux, I scored a hat trick. So it's uh it was great up there. And, you know, you got to mention Danny Flynn too, because he was, uh, he was a, a huge part of that, uh, that coaching, you know, with uh, Teddy. Did you get a word in with Bass on the way up or did he just talk the entire time? <laughs> no, he, uh, he talked all the way up, you know, and, uh, and to be honest with you, and I, I, when we're sitting in the car and he was telling me how uh, they traded for me and he loved my style and going to, you know, we're going to go far and this and that. And I'm like, I didn't want to get traded to the Sioux because Larry uh, Maverty was trying to get me to go to Belleville and uh, um, Otto was trying to trade me. Uh, Killer was trying to trade for me. And I was totally surprised. I was like caught off guard when I went into the, into, you know, Kingston the next morning after the trade deadline and I was traded to the Sioux. And, and the funny thing is in the, in Kingston, we had a red phone and it was the trade, uh, the Sioux hotline. You know, so, you know, we always joke the guys as the years went on about getting traded to Sioux. Now, all of a sudden, I'm that guy getting traded, but I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't change a thing uh, for getting traded up there. The Sioux hotline. I like that. Yeah. What was it like? What goes through your mind, though, when you, you know, you're, you're a young man. I think about this even in the modern day, obviously, but you're going from Kingston, which isn't too far from home for you, to the northernmost outpost in the Ontario Hockey League. Yeah, it uh, like I don't cry often. I remember crying, like getting in the car, and I was just sitting there crying. I'm like, well, I can't believe I got traded. That do I go? Or do I stay? And then you know, I called my parents, and my dad says, "Oh, I'll go up and you know try it." But it, it, I remember years before um, being drafted that there was a, a, a OHL scout from the Sioux that was in talking to my parents. And my parents said, no, you know, it was, it's too far for him to go. You know, we want them to stay, you know, stay close. Um, you know, at that time being very lucky that I was drafted by Kingston, you know, my parents were there every you know, weekend watching me and, you know, supporting me there. 
and it didn't make any difference because my, my parents still ended up coming up to the Sioux, you know, in the playoffs where they saw every playoff game up there and uh, it, uh, it, it was hard, but you know, I, I would do it again in a heartbeat. You know, I ended up going up there and living and staying up there in the, the, my summer after my first year uh, pro. So it's uh, just, it's a great town, great hockey town, great, great people. They treated you, you know, like gold up there. You mentioned Belleville. Playing the way you played, what do you think the reception would have been from Bulls fans getting Tony Hobb from Kingston? Yeah. Yeah, it would have been, uh, I never even thought about it. I only, you know, it was more just going in and playing with Mav. You know, as, you know, as a young kid, you never really think about it. But as you get older, you're like, oh, my God, you know, like, you know, we had uh, brawls, we had fights, you know, we had the, you know, that one year we went into the playoffs, we played how many, all the games went in the over, overtime and the long, long overtime. I think it's still maybe one of the OHL records are up there, um, you know, and, you know, and, and Maybe I wouldn't have had to fight McCarty again, you know, but, uh, but he, uh, no, it was, uh, it was just trying to stay, stay home, you know, stay close to home. Uh, you know, you never, and it's different now. Like, I think if you end up in the Sioux and you have the, 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 the means of social media, like we do have now, right? Like you, you don't feel like you're away, like right now, where you guys are and I are, you know, it's, it's so much easier now, right? you know going to my first years away and then even when I was playing pro like people didn't even know I was still playing I remember running into some guys at the when I was at the world championships and they go oh we didn't even know you're still playing no you know how would how would you you know it's different right you mentioned you mentioned McCarty uh who's the toughest player you played against Darren he was he was a rough tough guy right but there's a you know the Stevenson and uh, Kitchener too um you know there's a there's a ton of guys every every guy every team had a guy or two guys you know even even three guys you know we were lucky in Kingston that uh you know we had we had a you know Mark Majors we had uh you know uh, Justin Morrison uh Jamie Allen you know we had a ton of guys on our team that uh, Wayne Doucette you know with that could all drop the gloves or you know but um, McCarty was tough. Um, you know, I, he wrote a book about it and put me in his book, which was pretty neat. You know, I fought him as a rookie and, and beat him up pretty bad. And then he, he got me, you know, he, he I had no clue that he was taking boxing lessons. And then he caught me and got my shirt over my head. And, you know, I ended up going home for Christmas with a cut over my eye, you know. So um, definitely, definitely he was a tough guy. You had 142 PIMS in your second season in Kingston, and that was only the fourth highest on the team. So, yeah, you had a pretty tough team, I, I think. That's crazy. Um, the one video I wanted to ask you, but you talked about McCarty being tough. You also, I want to say got to, but <clears throat> had to maybe fight Eric Lindros. How strong was he in that fight? It, uh, you know, he was a, he's a big guy, right? Like, he's mm -hmm. four, you know, like, he, he, he was a man-child back then, right? And, you know, I was still, you know, I was 210, 215, right? So, um, you know, it, it, I, I, I didn't back down from fighting anybody. And, uh, you know, at the beginning of the fight, I got a good couple of licks on him. Yep. Uh, and then he, 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 he honestly reached up and tried to grab me and he poked me in the eye, my eye, you know, like, so then I tried to hold on from him. 
pulling down like he would a normal guy, but being so big and strong, he just kind of held him on me, hit me a couple of times on the top of the head. But, you know, then, you know, you watch the video, you hear the Oshawa general guys, you know, the commentators saying, oh, he killed Yob. And then, you know, it looks nice as everybody sees him skating off with a bloody, uh, his eye bleeding, right? So, you know, like, no, he, he's a, he was a tough guy. Like, that was a tough series. You know, that was, uh, we always go back and, and, you know, talk about it and, you know, how how draining it was and then when we got to the memorial cup i think we were just exhausted right getting you know through the playoffs and then playing those guys and the uh um you know it was eric lindros and the oshawa generals it was you know we saw signs as soon as we went in oshawa we saw signs that we said oh the road to the memorial cup and it kind of like okay guys you know you know let's take you take them down you know so okay there's definitely some championship talk to come but a bit of an aside here, when we were talking about Kingston, you had a teammate there, and it just so happens that we're talking to that teammate next. And when I told him that we were talking to you before we talked to him, he it's Joel Washcrack says, don't believe a oh, word man. that jackass says. So <laughs> yeah. you get you get the first shot here, Tony. What do you want to say to Washer? Washer? Yeah, he's a good uh... I remember him as a rookie, you know, and we had a, a small little uh, get together of the guys and I ended up, uh, we, we drove over to his house and he was in bed and we pulled him out, you know, and it was just a, a kind of a rookie party, but nothing, you know, like there was some bad stuff going on on other teams that, but nothing bad that happened and we just pulled him out of his bed and, uh, you know, he was a, he was a tough kid too, right? Like he could fight, he could uh you could put the puck in the net. So yeah, no, he's a, I like Warshi. We're still in contact a lot. And, you know, as he always says, you know, yeah, that jackass, you know, so I would have, I would have loved to play as him being a referee. I would have, uh, I would have enjoyed it. I think. For sure. I want to ask about another name you played with. We have had him on this podcast and you get last say, cause we've already had him. Uh, Kelly corpse was a rookie in your second year in Kingston. What was uh, Corpsey like? He came in as a underage and, um, you know, I, we're, that year we were, I ended up getting traded and, uh, and I tried to take him under my wing, you know, and like he ended up, uh, I had friends that lived near the rink and we'd always end up there after school, you know, eating craft dinner. And then I always remember him. He's just this hungry kid all the time. And we just, uh, I'd just give money to my friends and, you know, and he'd end up eating the craft dinner or whatever they had there. And, um, now Kelly was, he was a skilled player, you know, he, uh, he was one of the better, winner, better guys in Kingston that came through skill wise. And, you know, his, his, you know, he's played those games. He's got his number up on the rafters for a reason. And he's, uh, he was a good kid. I really enjoyed him. And, you know, it was nice running into him, uh, um, the tribute to Maverty. And he's, you know, he's thanked me for, for doing what I did. And I, you know, it meant a lot, you know, and I it came home and told people, I said, yeah, you know, that, uh, you know, it means a lot that something that happened 30 years ago or, you know, 34 years ago, and it's, uh, and it's, it sticks with you. So speaking of things that stick with you, uh, I've, I've really been interested in asking you this question because you were on the receiving end of it. So bear with me. And I touched on this when we were setting this up, uh, to, to have this conversation on the podcast. So I'm a kid growing up in Kitchener. I go to Rangers games all the time. There's a game between the Rangers and the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds. And there are a couple of leather lungs in my section. I'm, I'm laid back. I'm just watching the game. But there were a couple of guys that, that were pretty loud. I, to this day, have always said they're the best chirps I've heard because I didn't think they were 
insulting in any way, really, but you were on the receiving end. So I don't know if you remember or you remember some ones from other ones, but these two guys, one was yelling out Tony 10 B and then bingo. Like it would just be 10 B bingo. And then the other guy jumped on with, is that your last name or your postal code? I've never, that, that's 35 years ago, Tony. I've never forgotten that. Yeah. I don't know if you remember if that's insulting now, if it wasn't anyway, but I've always thought they were pretty good chirps. Did you get many no, of that? Those are, those are pretty good. Like, I mean, uh, the 10B bingo, that's a, that's a good one. I haven't heard that one. And, and I don't remember them, uh, you know, saying that uh, uh, as, a, as a kid, we're, I think, one of my last summer hockey tournaments and we were playing American team and my mom, mom was sitting up in the stand and there was a, a, a family beside him and, and the, the lady says, look at this kid. He, he doesn't even have a last name. He just put 108 to 11 on his jersey. You know, like it's no, it, my mom looked around. It's job. It's IOB. <laughs> you know, so. That's pretty good. Yeah, no, it's, uh, you, it's a different, I think it's still different. Like you can't chirp, you know, as, as you could back then, you know, you can't uh, go at guys. Right. So too many rules these days. That's true. It's true. You, you were obviously a fighter. We've alluded to that, but were you a chirper too, or did you just go about your business? Nah, I, I think as I got older, you know, it became more a little bit, you know, it always, I was, when I got late in my, my career, I think I talked a little bit more on the bench as I, you know, got even over and overseas and I became more, more vocal and stuff. And, you know, it was more just try to get my guys, uh, you know, pumped up for the game or keep them in the game or, you know, keep us going. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've had some some chirps out there, you know, probably a lot that I can't say uh, on here, but, you know, it's, uh, it, there's always some guys, right, you know, like you're, you're you, I remember playing, you know, it wasn't even a chirp, we've been in the Olympics, I played against Jaeger, and he was the night, the day before he played Finland, and he, uh, I can't remember who hit him, but he hit him, he had those old Joker helmet on, and he got cut. So we're lining up and, you know, he's a big girly man. I look over at him and go, how's, how's the pumpkin? You know, he goes, uh, pumpkin <laughs> and skates away. You know. <laughs> Did you relish the role, Tony? Because I, I, we've heard from some other guys that, you know, after the days or the playing days are done, you, you look back and say, you know, it, it was tough. Some nights you, you didn't want to do the job that you were expected to do on the ice for that team, et cetera. Did you relish the role? Uh, I don't even relish, I didn't, I didn't dislike it, you know, like it was, uh, you know, there were some big guys out there too, that, you know, that you never got around to fighting, even like in my pro years, you know, like Link Gates, uh, was supposed to play against him one night and I'm like, oh my God, like here's a guy I don't want to, you know, anywhere near him. Thank God he didn't play that game. But the, you know, it was like, again, it was, it was kind of your role of a hockey player. If you look at like our Kingston team or even our Sioux team, like how many, how many guys that could fight or take care of themselves or were not afraid to go into the corners, like it outnumbers what you have now on team. Um, you know, like it was, uh, I remember my first fight and I came back to the, the, the bench in Kingston and Maverick says, well, you know, for shit's sakes, yeah, why did it take you so long? You know, <laughs> but you know, being left-handed, uh, helped me out quite a bit too. Right. So, you know, it, it, caught a, it caught a lot of guys off and I, I took a lot of punches too, right? So it's, uh, you know, I always tried to get the first two in at least. 
before making it to the OHL, what did it mean to you at the time to play for the Junior B Timberwolves? In Pembroke? Yeah. So I was in Pembroke, and uh, Jim Ferrelli was the, the the coach at the time. And the first couple of games, I played a regular shift, and all of a sudden, I sat on the bench. And uh, I was sitting there. It's 13 games, and uh, I'll tell you the story. So I'm, I'm, I'm on the bench, and he's uh, – you can see him looking down at me. My feet are killing me now. Like, I haven't, I haven't played the whole game. So I reached down, and I unloosened my skates up. And all of a sudden, now we're, you know, 13 games have gone by, and, and it's like late in the game. All of a sudden, yeah, get out there. So I'm out there, and I'm skating down the My skates are loose, and I, I ended up going down and getting an assist on the, on the play. And I came back to the bench, just sat down, pretending like everything was normal, right? So anyways, come Christmas time, I wasn't playing a lot. And I, uh, I had the opportunity to go back and, and play uh, Renford Junior B. And, you know, being home and, and – uh, it, it's one of those rinks that uh, they don't have them anymore. It was an old barn. It was wood. Uh, the stands were on top of you. We'd fill it like 1,100, I bet you some nights, even probably 1,400, 1,500 people in this rink. And it was just jammed. Like you just see heads. And, uh, you know, we ended up winning Eastern Ontario that year and, and I got a good chunk of ice time. And it was, it was a lot of fun. It was, uh, that's, you know, going back, I was 16 at the time, uh, an underage. So you go back that many years and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's still, still all the memories, right? Like uh, even my junior A days, I remember a lot of, a lot of them. It sounds like success was following you, Tony, because when you got up to the Sioux, it's back to back OHL championships and Memorial cup appearances. Take them maybe one at a time. And obviously the first one, didn't turn out the way you wanted to. You guys went through the playoffs that year like a buzzsaw, right? I think it went sweep by sweep and then the final in six, but you didn't win a single game in the round robin at the Memorial Cup in Quebec. Yeah, we ran up against uh, Felix Pot in our second game. Our first game, you know, we were uh, probably sleepy and then realized we were in a game and we ended up losing. I think we outshot them 65 to 13 and we lost 2-1, you know, and uh, and that was the game that, you know, if we kind of won, we kind of would have, I think we would have got into the, you know, that at least the semis anyways. And then coming up against uh, Spokane, like that was, uh, that was, they had an unreal team that year, right? So, um, you know, and then the next year it was a battle again, right? We were against North Bay, we end up going to Memorial Cup. Uh, that one stings a little bit more, you know, being tied 3-3, you know, actually beat Kamloops, I think 5-2 or 5-3 in the uh, relegation round. And then, uh, you know, going up against them and being 3-3 and they score with, uh, you know, 13 seconds left or 12.6 seconds left in the game to, to take that away from us. You know, especially me being on overage, uh, you know, that, uh, that was a stinger to, to end my career. Just to follow up there, sorry, Popper, but yeah. being the defending OHL champ and going through the season to repeat, I mean, that's a remarkable accomplishment. Was it on your minds? Did you think about it? Did you talk about it? We want to go back and do it different, that sort of thing. Cause you got to have a target on your back, obviously the whole next year as defending champs. I ended up coming back late in the year cause I was in Rochester and uh, I was, I think it was late in October and uh, I didn't know if they had a spot for me and I didn't know what was going on. And then I ended up, you know, talking to Teddy Nolan. He just said, you know, get your ass up here was his last words and I got in my car and drove up and, and then they had to deal somebody I think Mike the cough away uh, for, for me to come in as an overage and 
you know, it, it just kind of rolled. It, it seemed like we rolled off from the year before and we just kind of kept winning and we had that, uh, you know, we put ourselves in that position, you know, like, I guess we demanded ourselves to win, you know, like we, we kept, kept a, an even keel. We had great defense. We had great goaltending. Like we had a good, uh, you know, three, four lines, you know, you, you see, look at some of our Ralph Intranovo, you had Jared Reed, you know, like we had a bunch of young kids too that were playing those years and then they just helped us out so much. At first OHL championship run, you had a defenseman named Adam Foote. How good was he? He was spectacular. If you watch his son now in Tampa, I, it reminds me of Adam, just uh, some of his moves and stuff. Uh, he was uh, he was spectacular back there. You know, like he would, uh, he, he still, I remember I got up there and it was his third year and he still had the same CCM skates he started with. And I remember the trainer trying to sew them back together so he could wear them, you know, and, uh, you know, he was great. We had Bob Bugner back there as well uh, brad tiley uh you know like he was he was my roommate but you know tiles was a, a great stay home defenseman that can move the puck up uh, as well you know like you know you talk about three defense uh sean and uh, i ever you know um uh guys after guys right there wasn't i don't think there was a guy on the team that didn't contribute you know, if they were on the ice, you know, you, did, you was not a guy that went on the ice. You went, oh, my God, this guy's going on the ice. Speaking of teammates to the opposition and, and some of the names, I mean, I know, and you mentioned it's disappointing, obviously, after you go seven games versus North Bay in the final to earn that trip to the Memorial Cup, you get to the final game. I know it's things to lose, but looking back, you, know, you look at Scott Niedermeyer, Daryl Sador, Darcy Tucker. I mean, it, it wasn't a bad team you lost to in that 92 championship. No, no. But I think we, I think us going into that last game, I think we kind of were a little bit, because we had, you know, our three wins going in and we sat out. I think it, going back, I wish we would have had to play that other game just to keep us going. You know, we sat out, watched them guys play, and then we're, you know, they were thinking maybe they were tired and, you know, they got up on us three quick and, uh, and it was just one of those games. And, you know, then we started going and again, you know, Chris Simons, I think Chris Simon scored three goals that game and he was on fire. You know, there's, there's another tough guy that we had on our team, you know, so, you know, and you could score, you know, it was, uh, they definitely had a great team. You know, my buddy, I have a friend, uh, Todd Stewart in Renfrew, and he, he remembers every stat, everything that, you know, he know he knew everybody. By the time I got home, he already knew who was on that team. And, you know, he even still talks about them, you know, like, uh, and, you know, and I think all of us go through our heads how Niemeyer on a four-on-one steps up on the play to receive a pass that was going back, you know, a back pass. And uh, and pass it up to a guy jumping off the bench because the guy realized that there was a they were shorthanded, you know, and he goes in and scores this goal. And and if you look at the goal that goes in, it looks like he's almost on the goal line when he shoots it. You know, it comes back, hits the post, and goes in. You know, so sometimes you just got to tip your hat to a good shot, <laughs> just like Goudreau yeah, last night. I wasn't tipping anything that day. Was, you know. I, I remember I still have that feeling of sitting on the bench and just watching this guy go down, and you just saying. Oh, Kevin's gone. You know, Hudson's gone. Guy's gone. He's gone. And all of a sudden, went around him. Okay, he's gonna miss it. And then just kind of goes in and just try and trickles by the the goal line, right? So, and then you look up thinking, oh, we got time, and then you have zero time. You got nothing to to go. I'm I'm curious about. We talked about all the tough guys that you played with in Kingston and Mavs style. 
had Nolan style and Sault Ste. Marie. You talk about some of the guys you played with there, like Bugner and Simon. What were some of these practices like? Did they ever get out of hand? No, we were, we were pretty good. Uh, like my centerman, Justin Morris and I, I think I've never, I never, I fought more with him than anybody, you know, like we just, but come game time, we, you know, we clicked, we had Jamie Allen and him and I, and I, you know, if you look at our penalty minutes, but that, that year, you know, like we, we played, I love playing with those guys, you know, it was, we all had similar, uh, similar styles, uh, you know, we had three guys going at you that didn't, were not afraid to go to the net or into the corner. So, you know, I had the, you know, those guys, uh, in the Sioux, we didn't, I had Colin Miller, you know, very quiet spoken, uh, you know, player and, uh, Jason Denemy, right. So like different, different styles. So I think my game, you know, kind of, you know, went from a muck and, you know, muck and grinding game to more, you know, get to the net, you know, these guys are going to find you, you know, I got to be honest, I've always had a bit of a soft spot for the Sioux. Obviously, the, the 33-0 and home record under Terry Crisp, when you guys were there, two of the three consecutive championships, plus the Memorial Cup that came the year after you left, and, and a great community, like you've talked about, Tony, for sure. But I've always wondered as a player, that travel has got to be hell. It's got to be hell. It, you just get used to it. You get, to, you get on the bus, you know, you just everybody had a different way like and, and it probably prepared me for some of my trips in europe like uh i was going sometimes six seven hours uh on a bus you know leaving milan italy and going all the way up into hungary and then as we're coming back in from uh hungary into milan we're hitting rush hour so we're stuck there for two three hours in in, in traffic you know you just want to get home and you're just looking at these cars not moving right so you know it's uh you get by, right? Like we all had our, uh, you know, our, our sport Walkmans with the cassettes in it, and you know, and we uh, we played cards, and you know, you just, you make the best of it, right? Lots of movies. Lots, Lots of movies. movies. Yeah, they don't do that anymore, though, Tony. I know we miss it. Yeah. Speaking of things we miss in the game, no movies. They don't have movies. No, they all just sit on their phones. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, that was the best part of those road trips, right? Uh, how many uh, million, you know, a million kilometers I've been on a bus is, is it's the last with the guys, right? Like, you, you know, you had nothing else to do was to talk to somebody beside you or, you know, bug somebody or chirp them or, you know. Real, real quick, you rode the bus a lot, especially during your time overseas, as you just mentioned, but did they still watch Slapshot in your later days? That's still a go-to on the yeah, bus. Yeah, it was always a movie that came on. The uh, slap shot was always there, right? Like it was always uh, the the Italian guys, especially you know the Austrian guys, wherever wherever country I was in, you know, like those guys just loved it, right? They just uh, they'd always laugh more than we did because we, you know, how many times have we watched it? You know, at least a hundred times, right? So it's uh, it was always slap shot, you know, a little bit of young blood. They weren't used to the young blood one, so. In those in those Memorial Cups, and maybe even the just the last one, obviously playing in the final, did Ted make a big speech that you remember before that final game, or did anybody stand up and just talk? Ted was a he was a great motivator. I couldn't remember, um, you know, like I just remember how he motivated us, how he, you know, pre every pregame, you know, after our warm up, he would come in and talk to us, and, and you know, he would he would get us excited, right? Like he would. Uh, he was, like I say, he was the best in the business of, uh, as a motivator and, and know, he knew the game, right? So he knew how to, 
And that's, uh, I think, player, uh, a coach's laugh now is he knew how to get the best out of every single individual player. You know, like it's, uh, you know, you, you have to go to, you know, like here you have to go to the hockey school or coaching school to, you know, for them to try to tell you. But these guys already had it, you know, like Ted had it and Danny had it, right? Like they would, and Danny, you know, I always remember going to the bench when there's a timeout or he'd be drawing something up crazy on the, on the board. Right. You know, especially, you know, when playing Kitchener or whatever in the, in the, you know, he'd always have a play and we and end up working, you know, so, or against Oshawa or whatever, whoever we were playing against and we'd end up scoring goals on it. So. We've had our share of, uh, memories on this podcast from the old Windsor arena, for example, that barn up in Kingston, when you were playing there, holy hell, that was a barn for sure. What, uh, what arenas do you remember for the, I guess the worst reasons? Uh, probably Windsor. Windsor was, uh, you know, that was just an old barn. And uh, I remember getting a 10 minute misconduct. So I got kicked out and uh, right in between the period. So I had to wait. So I was like four minutes left in that period. And I said, you know what? I'm going to go get a, a, like a Snickers. I'm like, I'm starving. I need a chocolate bar. So I'm sitting in my gear and I walk up and I'm in the, in the, and all of a sudden the game let out, but all the people are getting into the crowd. So I'm standing in the front of the canteen trying to get this chocolate bar. And I'm, like, everybody's looking at me and I go back into the room, you know, and I remember Aberdeen looking at me, goes, where'd you go? You know, I was hungry. I needed to get a chocolate bar. So, you know, he kind of just shook his head at me, but I just remember, you know, I'm trying to get myself out of these people to get back into the locker room. Um, Detroit, uh, when we went in to play um, Pompeyware, I guess, we yep. ended up playing uh, in in uh, the Red Wings and they would give free tickets out or sell them for a dollar and they would sell out, right? I, you know, 13, 14, 15,000 people. So that was pretty exciting for us to... Uh, to go in there and you know especially going in there and playing and then you see you know stevie eiserman and they're like a lot of guys walking around so it was neat uh, neat for us as young players how cool was it to represent italy at the olympics i was uh it was pretty neat like that was uh you know it was a, i would say my one of my bigger highlights of my career you know I, you know i got a lot that uh you know different different stages in my career and that was uh that was pretty pretty amazing right so you know getting called uh you know not even being on the radar of the team because uh you know at the time the coach didn't know who I was or you know he came over and you know so I was kind of left out the team for a year and then get the call up to say you know like you're going to try out you know I had two chances um you know it was one in uh in November Sorry, one in the late October and one in November. And so in November, my uh, my my dad's uncle had passed away. He's you know kind of like my grandfather that did. So I was kind of torn: do I go to this camp and try out, or do I go? And so uh, you know, like I ended up staying and making you know getting that call January or December twenty third, saying I'm on the Olympic team. And you know, I didn't get back for the funeral, but you know, I kind of, you know, I was going. I dedicated my Olympics where it was my my family, my you know, my job family. So um, it was uh, to get called. Uh, it's 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 unreal, right? You know, just that excitement, like a kid get opening a gift, right? Like I remember, you know, I was 36 at the time, and I'm walking down the street and I'm smiling. I couldn't stop smiling. I you know and I pick up my kid and my, my son's looking at me, he goes, dad, why are you smiling? I'm going to the Olympics. 
well, what's that, Dad? <laughs> you know, but <laughs> but no, it was uh, definitely a huge highlight of my career. What led you to Europe, where obviously you spent the bulk of your pro career? My after my uh, first year, I was playing Rochester and um, Erie. I was up and down, and then ended up playing at the end uh, in Rochester for, throughout the Calder Cup uh, playoffs. Um, and at that time, um, I was going to go to Tampa uh, the next year. And basically, the deal was done. I was going to go there, go to Atlanta and play. And uh, Colin Miller, my centerman, was actually in Atlanta at the time, and he was really pushing for me. And uh, Milan, out of the blue, just uh, sent me this uh, saying that they wanted me to come over. I'm like, I didn't even know Milan had hockey. You know, they just, you know, he didn't even know but. I, uh, they sent me over a contract and I couldn't believe, you know, the money, the money figure for one, it was tax-free and, uh, and I get to play in Italy. So I said, well, let's give it a, let's give it a go. I signed a two-year contract and, uh, ended up going over and never coming back, you know? So I came back a few times to play in playoffs and try out for Tampa as a 30 year old, but it was too old. Um, so they say, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, but the team I ended up playing for Milan, uh, AC Milan, which is owned by Berlusconi at the time, which is the soccer team, the same AC uh, Athletic Club Milan. So we were we were traded like the, the soccer players. We go in the night before, even if we played only two hours down the road and have this dinner, wake up in the morning, have a little skate. We'd stay the next night again, and then we'd go back on the bus. So everyone was very, very calm and, uh, you know, down down the earth with them right you know they didn't want to stress us out you didn't want to sit on a bus before a game too long so that was it was pretty incredible and then like starting my career over there like that did you guys get paid the same amount of money as the players on ac milan (laughs) i wish i wish i wouldn't be doing tile work right now that's for sure how was like you obviously enjoyed it you stayed over there for a while but how was the transition to being overseas it was, uh, it was different, right? Like, again, right? We didn't have social media. It was like I got over, and I don't even think I called my parents for like two, three days after. And I, you know, they're probably wondering what the heck's going on. Um, I get picked up on a bus. I get dropped off in this huge apartment, and we'll come and pick you up when we need to. Well, over there, it's called Ferro Agosta, which means everything in, in August is closed. And they didn't leave us money. They didn't tell us anything. I, you know, they, we were just kind of left on our own and we were sitting in the apartment going, okay, what, what the heck am I doing? And I was eating out of this little, uh, cafe bar, eating these little pastries and little pizzas and, you know, not speaking a word of Italy at a time. And, uh, you know, we, we, but then, then all of a sudden it just picked up, they picked me up one day and then all of a sudden I'm going to France for training camp. Right. So, uh, we, we've ended up in France to Switzerland and up into Berlin. That was our training camp uh, for two weeks on the road. That's amazing. Like That's we crazy. used to say, join the army, see the world, play pro hockey, see the world. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, I remember somebody when I was, I think I was around 30 and they said, uh, keep playing as long as you can. You know, once you quit, uh, you know, that's, you always regret it. And I still regret it. You know, I I did have a chance. I was 38 when, uh, when I did, you know, come back to Canada and I do regret it. I did have chances, but then my kids got settled in, um, 
you know, in the school and stuff. And then I said, oh, somebody will offer me a contract and shit. And I never came, right? So I still, I still believe I could play at 51. <laughs> you look like you could. Yeah. Yeah. Did your, did your style of game, I know it didn't change too much, but did your style of game change a bit when you went overseas? It didn't the first year because they, I kind of was that uh, getting, you know, still had to do it in Rochester and Erie, right? Like I think in Erie, I played 20 games. I had 200 minutes, right? Like it was, it was unreal how many, how many times I fought there, but that was a different, different thing, right? Um, again, you know, being on a two-way contract, playing against guys that were on three-way contracts or, you know, getting a hundred bucks a week or whatever. Now all of a sudden they want to take a, take a fight at it. Right. So, um, over there, I, my first year I had a ton, I think I had 250 penalty minutes my first year over there. And then, then, it, then I was always a half decent, good skater, but then I just became that much better, bigger ice um better you know better coaching uh you know techniques over there stuff like that you know you had different different practices that would teach you your edges you know forcing you to go forwards or backwards and stuff like that so um there was a a, definitely a, a change in my my game as i went on even though uh you're not playing and and probably still could uh you've stayed so close to the game that You've done some coaching uh, for a number of years, in, in fact. Uh, how do you like being behind the bench? I do. Uh, I love being behind the bench. I love the, the development of uh, the kids, right? I love to see, you know, I, I'm always, I would rather take an underdog team and see how far we could go. You know, I, I ended up coaching in Renford Junior B and we won twice the, uh, the Eastern not Eastern Ontario, but the, the Valley Championships and uh, with, you know, the fourth place teams. And we you know, hats off to the, the kids. They just bought in and then we went and it was, they were easy to coach. And, um, I coached some of the junior A's around here and it's just a different, different level of hockey that they're all kind of, as soon as there's a little bit of adversity, well, I got to go to another team, you know, they're all looking for that scholarship. So it was a little bit difficult for that, you know, trying to get them to believe into what, what I had, uh, but you know, but to get behind the bench, I, I love, I love, uh, you know, I'm still trying to get back into it now, especially with the co- after the COVID here for the last couple of years, it's been, uh, you know, pretty hard. I'm a coach mentor for the Nepean, uh, the Nepean team or Nepean association. And, uh, you know, that's, that's a lot of fun too. So instead of coaching the kids, I'm coaching the coaches. So, you know, we do a lot of development of off ice. We do a lot of meetings and stuff just to go over things. You know, they ask a lot of questions. You know, and we do the skates at the beginning of the year, and the coaches end up loving them because now all of a sudden they're saying, "Oh, I'm going to take this to my men's hockey room." You know, so it's uh, it's just the small little things to to teach them. Overseas, it can get kind of crazy, and I wanted your point of view on the story where fans were throwing stuff on the ice, and then you pick something up. I wanted to hear the story from your point of view. So, what, what, well, so when I was burning people alive, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that one. Uh, so we were playing uh, Bolzano in the uh, finals, and uh, they were throwing lighters on the ice. So you got a picture back then. Everybody, you could smoke, you could drink, whatever you wanted. And there, there was this our rink. There was a film of smoke that would just linger over the the like you would see the stands. As the night went on, you couldn't see the, the fans anymore because the cigarette smoke would come down. So That's wild. 
yeah, it was like you could you had to start skating like it was so muddy too, right? Like you're you know we're playing in April May or sorry you know March April, so it's already 20, 20 some odd degrees there, right? So these rinks are just boiling, and uh, our goalie ended up coming back to the bench, and we have a delayed penalty, and he and he touches the referee, and you can see the referee look to the side, look to the side, and pretends to fall down. And we're like, everybody's kind of looking at him. What the hell are you doing? Our goalie gets kicked out of the game. So we ended up losing in the finals because our, our backup goalie went in, but because he got suspended. So anyways, during this game, our fans all threw the lighters on the ice. And I picked one up and the guy was standing there. And I'm like, at the time, Beavis and Butthead were these famous guys, you know, hang, hang, fire, fire. So I picked up the lighter and all I was doing was pretending to do it. And the guy I was doing with was a guy I knew and he was laughing. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, because it took that long uh, in the hockey news, I was trying to light somebody on fire. So also made it in a trivia book too. Uh, what did Tony Ob do? Did he uh, sing with Pavarotti, marry a model, um, do something else or light a guy on fire? <laughs> you know. So. It's the damn media, Tony. That's the problem. It's the damn media. It is the media. Yeah, they uh, twist your words. I, I'm just curious what you thought when you saw it in the hockey news, because back then, as you mentioned, no Twitter. All of a sudden, you see it in the hockey news, you tried to light a guy on fire. You're like, what? That's not what I was trying to do. Uh, I remember my dad seeing it here, because he was over in Italy at the time, and he's seen it, and then when he got home, he's doing it, you know, like, Jesus Christ, you know, what are you doing? Like, you you're trying to light the guy on fire. And I go, that I was I wasn't trying to light him on fire. His jersey's soaking wet. How is he gonna, you know, light on fire? And um, the next year after that, I ended up uh, going uh, to Germany and Cologne. And Bob Murdoch was there, uh, my coach at the time. And he says, Well, and I learned it from him. And he says, Well, any 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 media is good media. And he says, You're sure? Because you think I lit this guy on fire, you know. <laughs> What was the caliber of hockey like in Europe while you were playing? My first years was probably better in the American League. You had a lot of guys over there. You had Gates Orlando, uh, Sean Evans, uh, you know, a lot of guys that could be playing in the Mar Mario Cicerone, Joe Basolo ended up going over. Um, you know, tons, tons of the guys were over there with, you know, Canadian and Italian that had passports or not. Um, and it was, it was, you know, what I, what I played in the American League, these guys would, you know, be NHL guys or, you know, American League for sure. Representing Italy at the Olympics, you talked about it, but I'm curious what it was like to play Canada during that Olympics in the room, because with all due respect, everyone expected Canada to beat Italy. What was it like in the room before you're playing a powerhouse like that or even Finland in that Olympics? They won gold. I think... Uh... I think we just took them as a game, right? We knew that, you know, we were always the underdogs. It didn't matter through all my career playing, um, you know, world championships. We were always the underdog, underdogs. Um, you know, we, we played them earlier in other games, obviously not with that many NHL guys that we, we lost 2-1, 3-1 to them a couple of years at the Worlds. Uh, and, and, you know, rightfully we should have won. I remember uh, Steve Sullivan saying to me, uh, you know, uh, you know, you guys should probably should have won that game. What a great game. Um, but, you, you know, you're in the room and you just take it as the game. You know, get by. You know, it's just keep playing our game. You never know what could happen, right? And uh, 
you know, like we had a goalie, a goalie coach that told us all about Berger and white, where you should shoot and this and that. And, you know, I came down my first shift and I hit the post, you know, it went right by him on the ice hit the post. And, uh, you know, I remember that, you know, (laughs) so, but it, it, it was a battle, right? Like, and and they didn't do, uh, they they didn't have a great tournament that year. Right. So, you know, and it was great to see Adam foot was there. Um, you know, like he was playing for Team Canada, so you know, I, I hadn't seen him since uh, you know, we were 20, right? Or 18, I was 19 at the time when I, when I played with him. That makes me think about those friendships that you made while playing, and it seems to be a kind of a recurring theme on this podcast that if teams win championships together, that bond lasts so much longer. How many of the guys are you still in touch with, if any, from the Sioux teams? I mean, I don't, not a lot of guys, but. You always like uh, Jason Denny or Colin Miller always reach out, you know, a lot of, you know, Chris Simon, you know, it's, but if you were all in the same room, it's, it, there's not that time lapse, you know, it's like, oh my God, I don't remember this guy. You, you go right back into where you were with these guys, right? And that's what I found. We, we had a, you know, I was saying we had that tribute with uh, Maverick and there was a good chunk of guys there and it just, it felt like normal. There was no awkwardness or nothing, you know, you're talking to them, you know, you know, Warshi was there, you know, it was just, it's, it's, it's easy, right. With these guys, uh, when you have that, you know, bond or, you know, just a, a teammate, right. Like you're, that's, that's kind of what you have, uh, that you can't take away there and you can't explain it. You can't, uh, I don't think you can, you know, it's just that, that way, you know, Joe Basil, I'm very good friends with Joe. We stay in contact, uh, quite a bit. Right. So, and uh, there's other guys that, uh, you know, like Kevin Hudson, I haven't talked to, but I'm sure if we ran into each other, we could, you know, we'd sit there and talk for hours, right? You mentioned Hudson. It's a great little segue to my next question because I'm curious as a guy who played with such passion in their game, how difficult was it watching Cameron be a goalie? You were a goalie, Dad. Oh my God. I, uh, the kid could skate. The kid, uh, he grew up in uh, Europe. He grew up skating, and he always wanted to be a goalie because he always was attracted to it. A lot of kids are. So he was always, and I, I blame it when I was playing in uh, Bolzano, and uh, Gunther Hall was actually part of the Olympic team as well. And uh, he was always over at our house and that, and Cameron became very good friends with him. And, and every time we're in the room, and Cameron, at, at the time, we would just bring the kids to the rink, and that's where Cam grew up is in, in our dressing room. And that was where he is, just the helmet and gloves on all the time. Dad, I want to be gold. No, dad, I don't. And I kept him out of it as long as I could. And uh, we ended up, I was playing in Switzerland uh, after a year in Klagenfurt, and I went to the, for the playoffs in Switzerland. And they uh, they said, no, no, we'll put him in. And all of a sudden, oh, my God. So I went out in the ice, and I shot pucks. So I was hitting him in the shoulder, and you could see him, and the tears are coming down. But he didn't want to say anything. So I shoot it on and knock him down. And back up again. I said, oh, all right, what am I going to do? So, you know, the kid could skate like the wind, and uh, he ended up in the nets. So That's wild. I love it. I've actually, I, that connects to uh, something else I had wanted to ask you, because I know uh, he was a good friend of your son, and uh, it, it was a tough loss and a, and a tough story. But tell me about Alex Paquette. Yeah, it's a tough one. Uh, it's still, obviously, it's on my son's mind every uh, birthday of his. And, uh, you know, and he was, 
when we came back to Renfrew, Cameron, you know, became pretty good friends with him and, and we, we drove him a lot. Like he was, uh, you know, the joke was that he was my second son, right? Like he was always with us, always in the car and we pick him up and, um, you know, just a, a little story about Alex. He, he was in the back seat and I could see him moving, looking, looking, uh, he goes, coach, how do you get your hair like that? Oh, you just got to keep slicking it back, you know, make sure you slick it back. So next couple of days we're going to a game and I look in the back and I could see him with this little smile and he said, he's got the gel in his hair and it's slicked back. And I, and I go, good hair. And he goes, thanks. You know, he was, you know, and I always remember that little smirk and smile. And he was, he was such a, a funny kid, outgoing kid that, uh, you know, it, it was, it was sad. Uh, you know, it was obviously sad for both the, uh, both boys, um, you know, you know, especially going in and seeing them, uh, and you know, to say goodbye to him, I took Cameron in, and uh, it, he he looked normal. He still had his hair slicked back, and he was just lying there, and you know, he just you know he said our goodbyes, you know, he but you know, and the end with him, the funny story was that uh, he was at school, and I guess he called a, another kid stupid or whatever and the teacher says to him he says you know you say you're sorry you know you don't call him stupid and he looks over at the kid and says i'm sorry you're stupid <laughs> so he, that's his that was his humor so uh now he was a, he, he led a lot of guys uh you know you know my son uh, and him were very close and you know he's uh, we have a lot of good stories uh, about alex off to ask a question after that because it's such a great story about a young man gone too soon I'm just you talked about your son and his friendship I'm curious if there's if there was a guy you played with whether it was in junior or whether it was overseas or something like your best teammate that you you know as a guy who was often protecting players I'm sure everybody liked you but I'm just curious on if there was that that friendship that you didn't know a player before going to a team you got to meet him and just really liked him uh, I think uh, Gunther Hell, I uh, talked about the goalie, the camera became friends. He became very, you know, we became very close. Uh, I played in um, Vipitano and he played in Bolzano as well. So we, we were always there and then national team. So, uh, you know, he, he became a very good friend. Uh, you know, he ended up sending Cameron over and uh, this, you know, this tractor, but it was one of the ones he sit on. And I'm like, what do you, you know? So I had to go down to customs in Toronto to pick it up but it sat there for like two months and they wanted like three thousand dollars for holding fees and I'm like I'm not giving you three thousand dollars for this tractor anyways long story short like the my the grandmother ended up getting someone to go in and buy it for like twelve hundred dollars because we knew that you know poor Gunther sent this over to for Cameron for his birthday right you know you know it's the most expensive toy tractor you've ever seen you know so uh Gunther was a great great team guy um you know there's always Alex Weinridge uh, in Milan, uh, Mike DeAngelis, phenomenal defenseman, uh, you know, very close with him still. He's actually in, uh, down in Arizona. That's how I ended up in the West Coast League uh, in, in 99, 2000, was he was already down there playing, and I ended up going down just to keep on my skates, and we ended up winning the championship down there. Um, great friend, great uh, great hockey guy. He's working within, within the uh, – Coyotes organization now, and uh, I should have stayed down there. <laughs> yeah, winters are a little tougher up here, right? Yeah. Oh man, are they getting tough, eh? 
Oh, I, I, get all I used to be able to skate all, all hours and uh didn't matter what temperature. Now I'm, uh, I look outside, I see snow, I, I can't go out there. Yeah, not today. Not today. Wait yeah. for a different one. I, I love those connections, though, from the game that, you know, you keep, that keep you moving through it to different places. And uh, it, it's fantastic to hear. Before, before Popper asks his inevitable, just one more question, uh, let's just say, it comes to pass that the Kingston Frontenacs meet the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the OHL final. Who is Tony Yob cheering for? Uh, I'd have to say the Sioux. I'd have to take the Sioux. They, uh, you know, they tucked me up there. They, they treated me, uh, not that Kingston didn't treat me well, uh, but, you know, we, we got more, I, I think I have more connections up there, right? Like it's just, uh, I shouldn't say I have more connections I have that winning thing, you know, you want them, you want them to win, you know, um, Kingston, uh, we had one year that we, I think we should have, could have won if we would have got through Belleville, I think we would did well, but you know, it doesn't matter Like the guys in Kingston are, are great and the guys in the sewer are great, right? I'm going to ask a two-parter one. I was just curious. I, I know <clears throat> I was curious on your fighting style. Like if you're getting in a fight, were you the type of guy that was just like, I'm just going to fight until something happens or did you have a strategy going in and then too when you just look back like 18 years pro career you know two ohl championships what did the game of hockey or what does the game of hockey mean to you you love it like i, I absolutely love it right like uh, i grew up teachers telling me you're never going to play in the nhl uh, you know you're not going to go anywhere you know um i remember being in our prayer at a hockey school and uh Brown, uh, that actually he ended up coaching uh, Ottawa 67s. So I remember he was the guy he was playing in St. Louis at the time. The big uh, head guy was he told me I should quit hockey, you know. So, you know, hockey was my life. I played it. Uh, I still passionate. I still play men's league. I still like the score. I don't, you know, I don't take the crap. Uh, you know, I, I, I should say I take it more now than I used to. Um, just because, you know, what are you going to do? Wake up in the morning with a black eye from men's hockey league, you know, or, you know, so. maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe be cool. Eh? <laughs> it's a good story. Yeah. It's a great story. Yeah. When you, when you went into fights though, did you have a strategy or were you just, you know, let, let the wires cross and see what happens with the visors? Uh, I learned to kind of reach up and try to grab their, their chin strap or their, the, the ear loop and kind of pull on it. I pull them in tight and then try to get their helmet off. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I think I was pretty lucky on that. I got a lot of guys helmets off and, you know, I did that over, you know, obviously as I got older and in, in Rochester and Erie and stuff like that, that uh, when I did fight, I got those helmets off a lot quicker. You know, I, I just seen a lot of, I remember Joey Coaster's knuckles and those watching those guys fight and they're just hitting helmets. You know, even now, like uh, the fights, uh, as soon as there's anything that happens, the helmet comes off and the referees are jumping in, you know, it's, I guess it's part of the game now. Um, I guess they're, they're okay with guys breaking their hands on, on helmets. So I don't know what the, what the purposes of fighting anymore is. That's why I love talking to uh, guys from a bygone era that played the game just a wee bit differently because Chris and I, and we talk about this a lot, still covering the league, Tony, like we, there's a place. And I, I think we went through an era where there, it might've gotten a little bit silly, but yeah. I tell you what, uh, to your point, like, 
you know, why do you even still have it? And I think there should be an element. There's, there's still room for it somewhere in the game, for sure. There is. There is. And I think if you, you've taken so much out of it, right, like you can't hit guys too hard now. You can't, uh, you know, like you're, you know, and I, and I go back to uh, Gary Lehman. We played against him. He was in uh, uh, over in Italy and we're playing him in the playoffs. And I remember waiting for him to shoot as a right-hander and I come straight across and blindside him. And I don't know how many times he'd be lying on the ice, you know, just kind of looking up in the stars and get up and he'd be out the next shift. Right. So, you know, it's just a, and obviously someone's going to hear this and they're going to say, Oh, you know, you just, uh, you know, you just out to hurt people, you know, but it wasn't just me. Like it was everybody. You had to have, you had your head up and it was always on a swivel because you never knew. You know, like you're, there's always someone that was tougher than you for sure. And you just never knew if you were going to get hit. A lot of guys that played that kind of style are, you know, struggling with it now. Are you, you doing okay? All good? Oh, I think so. <laughs> Seems <laughs> to be. Good. I, I got my hair. So no, no, no I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, like uh, obviously the body's, uh, you know, I think my body's sore. I do construction every day, uh, you know, contracting. So I, I'm obviously sore from that. Um, but I'm, I'm uh, overall, uh, you know, healthy. You know, like no uh, head's good. Still, still could think. Still remember. So once I start forgetting, then I, uh, I guess we'll look at it. But uh, you know, they, they, you go back to concussions. You know, I remember fighting a guy in, in Cornwall and the, uh, waking, you know, kind of coming to beside him in the medical room. And we were both looking at Jada going like, what, uh, what happened? Uh, I think we fought, you know, and like get stitched up, go back out, sit on the bench, you know, like how many fingers? Well, one, I had two, but you're good. Get going, you know, you know, just a, a very, very different. Now, obviously you need to protect people, you know, you need to, you know, take that element, I guess, out of the game and let them, uh, you know, if there's contact, yes, but, you know, the elbows to the child, you know, you look at Scott Stevenson, how he would come across that blue line. I mean, you look, remember that Korea hit, like, you know, Gretzky got hit like that too. You know, like it's, uh, you don't want to see guys, good players like that being taken out, but keep your head up. Head up. You can't, you also can't mention Cornwall without me making my weekly appeal. Let's get the Royals back in this league. Come on. Let's get the Royal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When, uh, when I coached the, the junior, um, you know, you always go into Cornwall and I always go, why is there not a team here? You know, like uh, they got, a, they got a lot of support there. So who knows? You never know. It's true. It costs too much though to bring a team in now. That's a cheap. very good point. Yeah, no, it's definitely not, it's not cheap. cheap. <laughs> no, no, it's a lot different. Uh, it's a lot different hockey now for kids. I feel sorry for them, right? Like, uh, you know, you, you look at uh, the cost, uh, cost for them, right? So, absolutely, we got paid to play. You know, we got a few little bucks. We got three pants and three that. Now you got to pay for your your sticks. You got to pay for. I'm not, you know, maybe not in the OHL, but you know, but getting getting to there, right? So, the different, uh, the different type of um, hockey. Well, Tony, thanks so much for joining us. This was great. Really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks, guys. Uh, it's great uh, bringing up all those memories. And just one for old time's sake. 35 years ago in the Memorial Auditorium in Kitchener. Hey, 10B! Bingo! <laughs> it wasn't me, but I thought it was pretty good. I don't know. He brought it up a couple of times. It might have been you. <laughs> I, fooled, I, I outed myself on this. Tony, it's been great. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys.
The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundle from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.